Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are still out here in California, San Diego, at the Here We Still Stand conference. Uh, still classy, by the way. San Diego is still classy. Very classy. And uh, Let the Bird Fly is a um, proud member of the 1517 Podcasting Network. And earlier today, we had the opportunity to live record or live podcast. I don't know what the proper way to say it is. Um, but we were able to have John Pless and uh, Bro Erickson on, and we talked to a little Herman Sasa. And Which we're excited. That, that episode will probably come out after this one, I'm guessing, because we don't have those files yet. But, right. Uh, They're but recording that themselves. That's something to look forward to. And uh, so we're, we're looking forward to kind of continuing a, a good, uh, sound, historical, theological episode and talk a little bit of uh, image of God, maybe a little, is it Haman? Am yeah, I, Johann Georg Haman. Haman, uh, hey, philosophy. Who's, well, whose voice was that? Yeah, that's what I was going to get to. We're, we're uh, privileged to have two guests with us, I believe. Um, the hissing at the mention of the Wisconsin Synod earlier was our first guest, uh, Wisconsin Synod Pastor Noah Bader. Why don't you tell him a little bit about where you serve? Uh, for almost the last two years now, uh, I've been privileged to serve the saints at Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Thousand Oaks, California, just about 30 miles north of Los Angeles. Uh, before that, I was uh, <clears throat> almost about 10 years at uh Another church also called Prince of Peace in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. So, And like Mike and I, your high school years were in Michigan. Uh, yep. Michigan fan or Michigan State? Michigan. Big week. All right. We won't, hold that, uh, we won't hold that against you as Michigan. Michigan State will be playing on Saturday. And we have with us also uh, Pastor Adam Morton. Adam gave a very good presentation at the last Mockingbird Conference. Mike and I were able to attend that last April. And uh, we'd encourage, uh, Peter hopefully will link that in the show notes. That, that video is up, I believe. The video is, you know, I have to get on Dave's all about this. They never posted the video on the website. Did they the post video audio? does then? exist. They posted audio. Okay. The, the video does exist, and you can link to it, though. You just have to link directly to the Vimeo of it. You can't go to the, uh, you, you can't go to the Mockingbird webpage okay. and find it. I highly recommend the video because Adam was wearing uh, personalized shirts. I, had, I was glad to be able to encourage him with this shirt idea. Of his son, John. Um, we'll have to maybe post a picture of it later if we think of it. But Adam is doing his PhD work in Nottingham, and maybe if you can tell us a little bit about your work, what you're working on, and that's kind of what we'd like to be talking about later today in the main topic. Sure. So I am working on the uh, the doctrine of the human being as created in the image of God. So your basic text for it being Genesis 1, 26, and 27. And uh, in particular, I'm working out an angle from well, a variety of sources. I'm using some Luther. I'm using some Johann Georg Hamann, using a bunch of Old Testament work. Joel Osteen. Uh, exactly, right. Uh, and some vaguely remembered cartoons I saw when I was eight. Um, and uh, I guess the main thrust of it at this point, you know, two years away from actually completing the darn thing, is on the human being as the image of God, specifically as preached, how this how this interfaces with preaching. But it's less about sort of rhetoric or, or homiletical theory than it is about uh, that it makes a difference when we talk about the human being as, as in this way spoken by God. So. Oh, I thought Peter lifted up. We are in a little bit of a different setup. We're in my hotel room here at the conference. Uh, Peter, Mike, and I thought we were all going to be in one room here at the conference, and it turns out we each have our own room. And, and Peter and Mike, you guys have both been in my house. I would say it's roughly the size of my house. Yeah, it's it's very close. It's maybe slightly larger. <laughs> Wade was happy not to have to sleep on the floor because that's what we were planning. <laughs> I've slept on about every inch of this room. I just it was rejoicing in all the space. But So we're, we're holding our mics. Hopefully that won't make too much noise. We're not at a picnic table or in my office. Um, so... We're going to fake each other out sometimes, lifting the mic to our mouth. But, um, yeah, excited to get to talk about that. Uh, before we get there, though, we will have our disclaimer. Uh, Noel, you want to do your best reading of that for us? Sure. <clears throat> the show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way.
And we're back with the free-for-all where we wrestle with life's pressing questions and try to answer them once and for all. We're actually going to revisit a question, so I guess we didn't answer it once and for all. Um, if you have to go all the way back to episode three um, and endure the audio quality. And, uh, That's we... back when Ben was producing is what Peter is saying. <laughs> He's bragging on himself. Um, that was a Minnesota brag. I wasn't I wasn't saying anything of the sort, but that is that would be a good Minnesota brag. You're right. Um, no, we talked about uh, whether the pitcher should hit in baseball or there should be a designated hitter. We actually brought that up with a number of our guests early on, so we thought we'd uh, come back to it since we are in the midst of the uh, postseason in uh, MLB. So we'll do that. But first, I want to just... Uh, well, and you should point out that the uh, Milwaukee Brewers have been hanging out here in California, and they they didn't get treated so well, so they're down 3-2, and they're heading back to Milwaukee to wrap this thing up with yeah, a win. Hopefully a couple wins, of wins, hopefully, yeah. 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 So, but before that, just uh, Wade mentioned in the intro, but just to throw out the website, if you are interested in other podcasts in the 1517 Podcast Network, you can find those at 1517.org slash podcasts. And of course, you can find us at letthebirdfly.com. So we'll start this off. We're going to, I'm going to throw Noah um, out there first. What is your thoughts on the designated hitter versus pitcher hitting? Maybe first, your what's your major league allegiance? I, oh, I, I, I think I know, but I want everybody to. Yeah. So uh, growing up in Michigan, uh, I'm with Wade, uh, Detroit Tiger fan so American League allegiance so I'm used to the designated hitter um, I think some of the you know more notable Tigers in recent memory have probably been the designated yeah, for hitter sure. and uh, probably would not have had the recent success they had without him uh, that being said you know having played baseball most of I my like whole life going. <laughs> I, it was always a weapon um, when we could have one of our pitchers also hit. And I think you look at some of the, even the, the recent postseason, some of the most exciting, who was the pitcher for... Peter's uh, going to mention Woodruff now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's exciting stuff, right? And I think it, it makes it interesting too because I think it makes the coaches think a little more as far as substitutions. And so I tend to like the DH because... You don't think because, Jim Leland was thinking all those years? No, Leland was fine. It's after that that things started to derail. So I, it, maybe this is a wishy-washy answer. I don't know. I like the DH because I grew up with it, but I tend to think it creates a little more excitement, even without less or even you know with less offense when the when the pitcher hits. So, so ga- game one of the NLCS this year, we're recording in 2018. The Brewers uh, pitcher comes in and uh, hits a dinger, and they end up winning by one run. So off the pitcher, Kershaw too, yeah. Yeah, off Kershaw. Now. Wade might point out that you go to game, fast forward to game four, and which uh, lasted forever. Forever went into thirteen innings, and uh, the both teams were pretty much out of pitchers. I think the Brewers had a couple left. No one had hitters left because you have all these substitutions going on. And Wade, the first thing he said to me the next morning was, "I stayed up way too late, and if they had a designated hitter, that game would have been over in ten at the most." <laughs> I'm still for the I'm still for the pitcher though. It's just exciting. Plus, if you're going to play baseball, you got to play baseball. Part of playing baseball is hitting the ball. I would just say though, when when you have a pitcher, it gets a home run. Why does everybody talk about it? Because pitchers suck at hitting, and it's so unusual. No one's like, oh, the DH got a home run, you know, and it's not on the news the next well, day. Well, I think one of the most entertaining things about that late-night game was watching all of my friends back in Wisconsin post about how they were staying up late, and tomorrow was going to be so awful, and it better be worth it. And then to see the Brewers lost, I mean, just I had a little twinkle in my eye. I got three hours so. sleep, and then we got we had to fly out here, yeah. My, my wife and I both stayed up, and we have a newborn, a one-month-old. and uh, you About know, she, the baby she, again. She, <laughs> Peter has a baby. And she was complaining, and we were, we were probably in about any 11 or 12, and she said, if they lose, it's going to be so depressing. And that, not because of the loss so much as we've stayed up to watch a loss. So Some listeners know that Mike and I tried to name Peter's baby, and he, I think, really reneged on, backed out of the deal we had for us and the listeners to be able to name the baby. If uh, if you had known the Brewers were going to be making a run, would you have named your baby either Bobbert or Herman, as we suggested, for a Brewers World Series win? <laughs> well, that would be, I you know, I think I might even be able to talk my wife into that because she's a big Brewers fan, too. Um, Bobbert was a big, uh, that one was, my uh, three-year-old was pushing Beaches, that one pretty yeah. hard, yeah. Um, my family, when they heard that episode, my mom listens, and she, she said, what about Christian for after Christian Yelich as he's making uh-huh. his MVP run? So, But Adam, what are your thoughts what's on your allegiance What's your allegiance first? first? Yeah. So my allegiance. Okay, I was born in northern Minnesota, which makes me a native Twins fan, and they're kind of the first team I remember following. But also at the same time, most of my extended family, both my parents, my older brother, are from Southern California. 
I am, in fact, I don't a, like the way this I'm, is I'm going. a Dodgers fan. Yeah. So oh. I still have a team in this thing. <laughs> Boo this man. <laughs> and so one of my earliest best baseball memories is Oral Hershiser and Kurt Gibson carrying a Dodgers <laughs> team that had no yeah. business As a being on fan, this field. I, I have to say that Gibson moment's pretty great. With, yeah. with, uh, no business being on the field with that A's team. And taking them to a World Series win, yeah. Um, so, which is the last time the Dodgers won a World Series. Um, how, do you, so we, how do you feel about Manny Machado so, then as a Dodgers fan? I'm 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 okay with Manny. You don't think he's dirty? No more than say Kent Herbeck was, you know, <laughs> yanking people off first. <laughs> uh-huh. um, Kent Herbeck, that guy, he didn't have enough uh, vowels in his name. Did you ever notice that? He, he <laughs> didn't. He was short a few. It's all right though. So real quick, so you said you grew up in Minnesota. So I, 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 well, no, I I mean I was born there. I grew okay. up oh, all okay. over the place, but. Um, but the Dodgers and Twins were always so. I, I have I have dual allegiances. I have to say, especially when it comes to the playoffs, I like the National League style better. Uh, Wait, you are just on I your like own here. I like all the complicated switches. I, I don't I mind long, tense games in the regular season. I totally understand why you'd say just have a DH, you know, hit a few more home <laughs> runs, get this thing over with. I get that. But when it comes to the playoffs, I want to see a I want to see all the fiddly little substitutions. It's fun. I agree. And uh, that's that's, that's what when baseball turns from being a nice diversion to sort of a a really intense thing. Now, Wade Wade says that it's because he's a... uh a Detroit fan, but really we know that it's because he just wants to see more fat guys in baseball. And it's the only <laughs> that is way. one of the benefits. <laughs> yeah, some of the most glorious fat men in baseball have been either pitchers or DHs, and uh, I think uh, diversity is important. And I think that that for children watching, that that gives. What was the Little League World Series kid that hits dingers? Um, the big kid who says uh, I hit dingers. Right, that's the um, the kid from Jersey that I think uh, gives hope to a. Uh, my portly young children, you know, uh, friends or whatever you would call it. That sounds bad. Um, why don't I go ahead and throw this at, at Mike? Uh, Mike's not a baseball fan. He's a Cardinals fan. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give your opinion, Mike? Um, yeah, so a diehard Cardinals fan. And absolutely love the National League game because you have to think innings ahead. So you know that the pit- your pitcher's coming up, and so this may be the chance, like in the – fifth inning where the game kind of could hinge on this and so maybe you do a hit and run or whatever and everybody likes the long ball as exciting but what's even more exciting is going from first to third or a throw at the plate or a stolen base um and you can have both i think in the national league the only thing i like about the dh is extending the career of those guys like babe ruth could have played until like the day he died there's amazing there's hitters they still get to right. hit. yeah so i'm i'm okay with that so I would really, I would become much less of a baseball fan if it was all DH. But I do like our American League's got the DH, and and so it's a different style of game. And then let's see which style wins in the World Series. So I, keep it as it is. I is would my agree. Vote. I think keeping it. There's some who want to go all one or the other, and I do like each league having its own. I thing. I, I like Tigers because we you know spent some time in Michigan too. But man. I can't watch a regular season American League game. Home run, strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. Can you imagine, strikeout, though, like a, a classic Red Sox, Yankees, Tigers team without the DH? I mean, the DHs are just part of what made those teams iconic. Uh, they didn't have the DH until whenever. I think they were doing just by. They were doing just <laughs> but, fine. The Bronx Bombers were doing just no, fine I'm talking, without DH. I'm talking recent World Series, if you, like 90s on. Sure. Those teams were, I mean, carried by... DHs, so well, yeah, it is. What another it is. reason to have the leagues Did have Jeter different, different rules is yeah. that uh, <laughs> is that you can. Um, I mean, what would we do for free for all topics if we didn't have this one, right? I mean, so <laughs> who played DH on any of yeah. those Yankees <laughs> World Series teams? Was Alex Rodriguez a DH? Song. Was it Jeter? Rodriguez? Was it? Who are the great DHs that carry that? And I, you know, now and I'm not I quote, Williams, Paul O'Neill. Who was I, the DH? And I quote, yeah, now you carried the team. <laughs> I didn't say carried the team. I said made it iconic. I'm just thinking <laughs> the iconic DH. Nobody. <laughs> what, what were those? What were those Yankees known for? Oh, home you got, runs. You got, you got home runs. You got poppy. Yeah. Actually, right. the early ones, the late '90s ones, played a more National League style. All right now you. They weren't. They weren't. A, they weren't really a power hitting team. All right, fine. What about I'm gonna go with the Red Sox still, Big Poppy. <laughs> Big Poppy. And, All right. Yeah. Wade, Wade loses. I mean, this is. I mean, we'll, and I do like though. I'm so gonna go like, throw my microphone like in the pool. If, let's say, 
let's say the brewer the brewers go to uh the world series or whatever i think it's fun as a brewers fan then to say okay who are you going to dh yeah you know probably easy it's also fun to watch those those american league pitchers hit well yeah but it's not like yeah yeah and you know how about this how about these pitchers actually maybe try to learn how to bunt and hit a little bit? Yeah, you know? the small ball. I don't understand why they don't do that more. You could do it. I mean, it, it's not. It's it's if it's you, still if you, doable. If you want the best hitters and defenders on the field, or you want to see the nine best fielders, nine best hitters. No, we just want people that play baseball. Yeah. yeah. By that logic, nobody should have to field a position. You just put out nine hitters, and you get nine other guys. There to you field. go. I, I would support that. <laughs> Wade's want softball rules. I'm just rules. getting mad now. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Wade also thinks that they should be serving beer in the dugouts, I think. So. All right. Well, we should move on to the main topic so we have some time for Adam to talk. Thankfully, to the main topic, I did not like that free-for-all. Um, I was Googling Yankee DHs um, after we got off, and uh, I'm going to write a paper on this. I, I have to do more research. <laughs> but, uh, Adam, maybe if to get us started off, you can just dig or tell us a little bit more about uh, <laughs> your work with what you're, you're working on for your doctoral program, but maybe also um, a little bit of background on Haman and why the... Why the image of God? What? Why is that something? What it is to be a human? Why? Why that drew your attention, and, and how you think it's something important that the the average pastor or layperson should be concerned with? All right. Well, I will start with that part. Actually, that's 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 sort of the easy part. How I got into this. You already showed on the free for all. You're going to do whatever you want. So just go ahead. Peter. That's true. Uh, that is true. I am Adam, free. I said, Peter. I'm I, rattled. I, I'm clearly rattled. I'm sorry. I started looking at image of God stuff. Because it's one of those, sometimes you run across words, phrases, concepts in the Bible that you realize you've been saying all your life, they get thrown around, and the harder you look at them, the more you realize you don't have the slightest clue what they mean. That's how Mike felt about God. (laughs) Jesus. You know, things like glory, and then you, what is the glory of God? What is, you know, concepts like that, they can suddenly strike you that I this is language we use. That that becomes such a, you you get that when you have kids that get old enough to start asking the questions. Well, what is what does the fear of God mean? And then you kind of stammer around and you know this is important. Just let me let me figure it out. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. And image of God is one that gets thrown around quite a lot, with a lot of range. Um, you don't just hear it among sort of pastors and theologians. You don't, in fact, just hear it in the church. If there are any concepts from the Bible that you are likely to hear thrown around in a relatively secular environment, sometimes with reference to human rights or all sorts of stuff like that, talking about human dignity, the notion that, well, we're all made in the image of God. Great. So what is that? Um, And then I started... I think what sort of tweaked my interest in it a little bit is there is a very peculiar passage in Luther's Genesis lectures in which he takes this up. Of course, he has to because it's there. And there's a whole long tradition behind him. And the long arc of the medieval tradition and going back into many of the church fathers was to say that, well, of course, the image of God is reason, will, and love. Uh, That is the definition offered by Augustine, finally, and it's taken up by, in Peter Lombard's sentences, and then repeated and elaborated. And Luther mostly rejects this view. Now, it's an interesting view, because what are you doing here in identifying it with reason, will, and love? Well, Trying to say what's different than the animals, yeah? Exactly. Correct, yeah. What's different from the animals? It's an Aristotelian approach. It, yes, right. So, so okay, the image of God is, is whatever's, how do you identify a human being? It's, well, it's, it's not those things. 
Luther, however, in this passage in the Genesis lectures, not only does he throw out that definition and say, well, we can hardly even know what this is. Uh, in fact, he says it remains sort of as, as just a name, a word, image of God, in name only. And he says it's largely been lost, that is lost to us. That lost thing is a little bit of a complicated business, but exactly There's what There's a little bit of a fight about that after Luther. Yeah. There, there is just a, just a small one <laughs> yeah. about what, what that means, yes. Um, but then Luther moves on to say weird stuff, because instead of using this thing, image of God, to distinguish us from all the animals, he says, and I'm convinced that before the fall, Adam had eyesight, like the eagle, and strength so he could handle bears as if they were puppies, and you're going... Sounds like a great WWE wrestler. Right? Like, what is this? This is this is weird, but it's also it's all it's it's Adam as like a superhuman, rather a super a super animal, uh, which is it's a really unusual description. And I scratched my head and I said, is he on to something here? What's going on? I mean, Luther's definitely different from the tradition in this respect, but I still didn't know what was going on. And then a third piece I realized, and this was just sort of a minimal linguistic thing, and. Anybody could find this out, but if you happen to pop open uh, Genesis 1 in Hebrew, and you look at the words image and likeness, you'll see they are tselem and demuth. And tselem is... That's, that's actually the name of uh, two of Noah's kids. Tselem and demuth. <laughs> yep, that's right. <laughs> Guess which one's the boy and which one's the girl. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. It's the same thing. Um... Uh, Selim is an ordinary word for a plastic image. I mean, not made from polymers. I mean, like an, an, a crafted image of something. It's an ordinary word that you could apply to a sculpture, a statue, or a pagan idol. And that got me thinking. I started to look around to see if there was any research on this. And, oh, yeah, there is. Uh, there's good research on this. But that's tying this notion of the image of God to the crafting of idols, of statues, right? We all know that the Israelites, the Hebrews are commanded not to have any, not, not to make any images. Well, there's a flip side to that. That's a different word there in Exodus from Tselem, but its semantic range is not all that different. Um, there's considerable overlap. That really becomes fascinating when you look at it and you say, oh, well, here in Genesis 1, God is making his own image. Hmm. And it's the living human being. Now, then you get, over the course of the 20th century, biblical scholars taking one run at this after another, trying to come up with a good definition for the image of God. And one after another, they throw out their suggestions, and then somebody says, I mean, yeah, that's a thing that's kind of roughly associated with it, dominion over the animals and one thing and another. Is that itself the image of God? Is that adequate as a definition? And there they largely agree, no, it isn't. So you end up in a weird space where you have elaborated this concept some with all sort of associated stuff but you don't have a definition of the thing when you ask what does this mean what is this um there's still kind of a shrug uh in fact there was an old testament scholar named james barr who in a couple of major lectures i mean a paper in 1968 and then in the gifford lectures in 1991 just flat out said that that not only does the uh, image of God, uh, not, not only do we not know what it means, but in fact, the writer of Genesis didn't know what it meant, didn't have a definition of it. Mm. It's a weird, interesting insight. Is it, it, can that be right? He's not saying that there's something, he's, what he's saying is that there's some way in which it can't be simply defined like that, because it really has to do with God. Uh, I don't I don't entirely follow Barr's suggestions from there on out, but it was an intriguing way to sort of poke at this. So then we have to figure out what's going on here. Um, and started to look at really what, 
then how do you develop this if it's a thing you can't get, just give a simple definition of? Well, there's a clue, and it's right there in Genesis 1. Because Genesis 1 follows a, a, a very particular structure, right? You have the days of creation laid out. You've got these, these six days. On the seventh day, you have rest, the Sabbath, which means already we're sort of in the context of the worship of Israel uh, because that worship is established in this seventh day, in this seven-day pattern. And in Genesis 1, God is building a thing. The thing is the cosmos, is the whole world. But it has, a, it has a, it, a particular structure to it. It has an architecture to it. God makes a space. In, so on the first day, what's the space? The space is, 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 is the heavens, right? And then on day four, he fills the heavens with living creatures, uh, that is, the stars and the lights in the sky. We're not used to thinking of these in living cre- as living creatures, but they're kind of almost described that way in the Bible. Um, in, I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily, it's just, it's just a, it's sort of a poetic way of doing it. That's, that's, that's the, they're given those terms, right? They're, they're, why? Because they're objects, they move, right? Mm-hmm. Stars aren't static. And, they don't they sit govern. there like a mountain. What's and that? And they govern, right? And so, they govern, okay. and they govern. They do a thing. They do a thing. That's exactly it. And so they're placed there, right? Then on day two, right, you've got the waters above and below. Uh, is that right? Let's say that's right. I'm, 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 I'm I, right. Uh, it would be helpful if I were looking at a Bible, but I don't need to be. Anyway. Those are overrated. And then you've got birds and fish populating those. And then day three, you've got dry land and a little bit as a coda to that, plants. And day six, you have land animals, and then this final little bit, which is set aside just a touch, because the language changes, let us make Adam in our image, the human being. Um, And God makes land animals and the human being. And the human being is said to be image of God. If this whole structure God is creating, first building the structure itself and then populating it with these living creatures. Imagine this as a temple. Its purpose is worship. And the last thing that's made is the thing that is image of God. What, what would you have in a temple? What, what, what makes, if, if, if you were looking at the ancient world or any temple anywhere in the world, what makes a temple a temple? It's, it's the presence of, of the God there. Right? So for the pagans, you'd have a statue of a god. In Genesis, you have Adam. That is the human being, male and female, placed here as the living images of God. That's an interesting structure. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's, 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 that's beautiful. It says something incredibly rich and powerful, I think, about, about what we are. But then there's a, there's a trick to this. The trick is if, if we have to think back on how Genesis 1 gets used, what it's there for. It is, in a weird way, a kind of preaching. It's not just a history, right? Um, It's a kind of a history, but it's a different history. There are a lot of different ways you can do a history, and this is a very different form of history. Well, and it's almost a polemic of sorts. I'm well, it, right, because it's, yeah. it, cause it's, it's, it's set up if you, right, there's a scholarship that said this for a long time, that it, um, Genesis 1 has similarities to, uh, pointed similarities to, the mythologies of surrounding peoples in the ancient Near East. But it's, it's an attack on them. It's dead set against them. So the, the easy way to see this is in, in the ancient Babylonian way of looking at the world and how it was created. You have the various gods coming around, and they're good and bad gods. And at some point, one of them rises up, an evil deity rises up and becomes a problem. Darth Vader. Darth Vader, exactly. Uh, Darth Vader or Tiamat. And in the Babylonian version... Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, (laughs) Marduk, arises from among the gods to say, I can defeat Tiamat and her armies. Aaron Rodgers isn't Marduk, though, right? 
Aaron, well, Aaron, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers. I is, feel like he's got to be like like Tiamat's like right hand man. Adam or is something. a Vikings fan in, in so the this sense is that Aaron Rodgers is a false god and will be thrown down like all false gods. Okay, we can gods. go with this then. Yes. All right. <laughs> yes, he is. Just like. Anthony Barr threw down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it reminds me of a joke. So Aaron Rodgers walked into a bar. No, it's like, yeah. That's exactly. <laughs> Peter is also a Vikings fan. So they right. can. Did Marduk have especially fragile collarbones? That's what we need to learn. <laughs> and bad and, and, and a gimpy knee. <laughs> but beautiful eyes. Can he, can he wrestle bears down nonstop? Can, can he no matter bears? what. <laughs> um, Sorry for interrupting. Yeah. No. No. This My is, apologies this to is, Eric. This is fun. So what Marduk does is he arises to leadership of the gods by killing Tiamat and then making the cosmos out of her body. And then usually some lesser evil deity is slain and out of that lesser evil deity, their blood, human beings are made. What are human beings made to do? This isn't... Now the key is human beings are being made out of the blood of an evil lesser deity. Uh, that means humans are bad. Uh, not just sinful, but actually rotten. All right, this might sound odd right at this moment, but welcome back to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We were recording yesterday with Adam Morton on the image of God, and uh, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty, and so we had to uh, abandon that for the next day. Um, that's what I'm going with as opposed to I got so mad about the free-for-all and the Yankees bit that um, I threw a tantrum and left. But uh, what happened was I am supposed to delete stuff off our Zoom recording device every once in a while, and I did not, and so the memory filled up. And so we're very thankful that Adam has been kind enough to join us in the hotel room again and to uh, put in the time to listen a little bit and, and figure out where we left off so that we can pick up there. Pastor Bader is not here yet. He is making his way here, I believe. Um, but we'll, if you hear noise in the background, that's him coming in. But as far as we know from listening to it, we left off talking about uh, Aaron Rodgers and uh, as a false god, like Mordek, I believe. was Like Marduk. 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 And uh, we, so we talked a little bit about uh, human beings, according to these accounts in the, in the ancient world, um, if they're made from the blood of another, uh, being inherently bad. And right. and so, Adam, I think uh, I'll leave it up to you to pick up wherever you'd like to go from or wherever you want to pick up from and then and go to. Sure. So, yeah, so in, in, in this account, in basically the ancient Near Eastern account, and I use the Babylonians as an example of this, we have their... We have... Uh, clear versions of these myths. Presumably, they existed in some form, probably not that different among the Canaanites and other peoples as well. Um, well, in any case, what you're talking about is a view of the human being as not only inherently corrupt, as from the start corrupt, but made for a subservient purpose. When human beings are made, they are made to be slaves to the gods, to do menial work that the gods do not want to do. The gods explicitly says they don't want to dig ditches all day long. You dig ditches so you can irrigate irrigate fields so you can grow crops. So you have somewhere to put snitches? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that then you can support the temples which you have built and make food offerings to the gods now something here requires explanation and it's the notion of representation in uh in the ancient near east so when you had a statue of a god in a temple that statue wasn't just a picture of the god so you could look at it and be reminded of the god that was somewhere else. In the same way that the sun and the moon and the stars were considered to be not only living beings but gods, so was the statue of the god there in the temple considered to be the god. And so they had rituals for turning this statue into a living god. Uh, the, uh, the Babylonian ritual is called the Mishpi or the Mishpi and Pitpi, the uh, the washing and opening of the mouth. And a craftsman would 
make an idol and then disclaim having made it. I never made you. And they would throw their tools into the river and they would pretend to cut off their hands. Say, Look, I, I couldn't have made this thing. And then it would be clothed and spoken to. And yeah, something would be applied to the, to the insides of the mouth and such. Um, and the idea is by this, the statue acquires divinity. It becomes an extension, a manifestation of the divine presence where it can speak, it can hear, it can receive prayers. It can eat, so it can receive food offerings. Um, and it can walk around. So they would put them on little carts and things and wheel them around for certain rituals. They'd move them around, do things like this. Like Weekend at Bernie's. Well, a little bit like, if you want a biblical comparison, a bit like in uh, in Ezekiel with the vision of the glory of the Lord moving around Jerusalem. Hmm. Um, and you can find scholars who absolutely are convinced that Ezekiel is interacting with this Babylonian practice. Makes sense, right? It's a Babylonian context. Um, well, anyway, so the point is the statue really is the god at that point. And so to say it's an image of God is really is a, a strong thing there. But the statues weren't the only things called images of God, right? If most humans were slaves born to, uh, to support this temple and cult structure, offerings to the gods— Kings and priests played special roles in that. They could also be called images of a god. So the Babylonian king could be called an image of Marduk. And he was an image of Marduk because just like Marduk, he would go out and he would defeat evils surrounding tribes. He would impose order on chaos violently. He would subdue unruly bad people. He would build temples so that sacrifices could be offered to the gods. So the king, in doing all these things, was Marduk. Not quite literally, um, but in his capacity as doing these specific royal and at least semi-divine things. So that's... That's the ancient background. Then Genesis 1 comes in, and where these myths say that a human being is a corrupt, evil thing, they say, no, the human being is good. And then they don't just refer to certain priests or divine representatives. It would be one thing if we said, well, Moses is the image of God. Well, that's plausible, right? Moses does some almost divine things. Um, or one of the prophets are, you know, okay, well, it's... But, or even even Israel as sort of a, a priestly nation. But the Bob the farmer. Bob the farmer, and not only Bob the farmer, but his Moabite cousin, <laughs> and not only his Moabite cousin, but that same Babylonian king who's being called the image of Marduk, Genesis 1, bizarrely, proclaims to be the image of the Lord. Now that, that's a very different vision, but it's also a little bit of a problem, right? From this angle, you can say, well, at least the Babylonian one sort of makes sense, right? Certain people at the top who are doing things like gods should do could represent the gods. What does it mean to say everybody is? Even Bob, and no one likes Bob. Exactly, no one likes Bob or Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> um, that's 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 a more complicated matter, and so we have a uh, a difficulty of how we negotiate that. Now, a lot of the Christian tradition has tried to negotiate this problem. By taking these two words, image and likeness, and I think I mentioned this, differentiating between them. Noah differentiated between his children with their names, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Did you? The dodo or whatever. The yeah. Hebrew words from yesterday. Yes, yes, that's right. That's Peter's right. That's right. That's back. right. We did talk about yeah, this. Yeah, Peter nailed them, but then I don't remember what they were. So. Well, it's so you were th right. This is, that's why you do that, right? You differentiate between image and likeness, so you can say, well, yeah, everybody's in the image of God, 
that's only kind of a bare potential that maybe everybody has. And the more they actualize it, the more in the likeness of God they are. Hmm. That's cute. It's not really how these words work in Hebrew. It's it it, it it doesn't fit with the biblical picture well, but you can understand why somebody would draw it. Okay, that's a way of conceptualizing it. What does that actually do with the image of God? It makes it into a law. That is, into an ideal. Into an ideal form of humanity, which we say, well, yeah, you're, you're in the image of God, meaning you could be like God, but you aren't. However, if you started doing things like God, then you would be. Um... Well, in that case, this, at on first glance, beautiful passage in, in Genesis 1, it, it just becomes another law and really a kind of a crushing one, right? What a human being is, okay, we're created in the image of likeness of God. If you try hard enough, maybe you can be like God. Now, that even gets worse when we say, well, Jesus is the image of God. It seems to me that there was a, a half lie at the beginning, at the couple chapters later, that you can be like God. <laughs> you can be like God, right, right, right. We don't have to get too far. You can be like God. Well, this is, this is a good point, right? Um, wait, we think this through. Again, the New Testament refers to Jesus as the image of God. Okay, well, that just turns Jesus into our ideal, Jesus into sort of our ultimate moral goal. Now Jesus has just become the law writ large. And... It's hard to find anything like gospel in any of that, if that's the case. I mean, worse, it, it just means that we're we're sort of stuck. How are we ever going to get there? there um, and there's there's no, I guess with gospel, there's no giftedness. This isn't an image gifted to Adam and Eve. Right. It's something that either they need to maintain at the very least, or and, later on they need to, it's a potential within them. Right, and then when they fail to maintain it, the entirety of the Christian life becomes a way of trying to claw back to being more like God. And I'm, I'm guessing normally by the will, since we see it as by the will that they fell. Right. This is exactly how a great deal of theology from the church fathers on views either theosis or sanctification. is is the progressive reclaiming of the image of God. Um but it's a view of the human being according to the law alone. Now, I think I said at the beginning that what I wanted to talk about this in relation to was preaching. We're not going to get to Haman today, even though no, Haman's we'll, wonderful. No, we'll have you back on for yeah, that. If I yeah, I briefly jump in, I, mean, I don't want to distract you, but in, and if we're viewing the human being according to the law alone in that way, I'm guessing that has significant impact then for um, A, how we'll treat another human being, right? What, how much they merit compassion or whatever the well, case that, may be human rights but also that it it will impact um you know one of the wonderful things about the gospel is it opens you up to have compassion or empathy because you you see the need in others that you have in yourself and so um just how we interact obviously the um the pharisaical like using a different measure for my neighbor than for myself that just feeds that but i i don't mean to distract no that's no that's 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 that, that's a good point because one of the common ways that the image of god gets used and it's it's not wrong is as a foundation for ethics, so human dignity, human mm -hmm. rights. Um, but this is a double-edged sword when it's applied this way. Because one could easily understand it to mean that if you're not trying very hard, you're maybe less deserving of these rights. Or, or people who then don't seem to be, if you're, if, you, if you're looking at this in terms of reason and free will, this is actually historically how it happened. Then... Um, Eventually, you had folks, uh, say, certain enlightened European intellectuals looking around at, at, the, wor at you know, the world around them and saying, those people over there, mm -hmm. they're, they don't seem to use their free wills very well, and they seem intellectually deficient. Well, maybe they're just not human. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe there's a connection here about when uh, the little children come to Jesus and uh, you know, go shoot! Don't don't bother the rabbi. And then he gives the reason why they should bother him. And, and he doesn't say they were created in the image of God or they're cute or whatever. He says the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Grounds it in the gospel a yes. little bit. Yeah. And then we turn that into law. Believe like a little child. Right. Um, 
so that we can measure the faith as opposed to right, God's gifting of this to the children who are, are utterly um, annoying and dependent. You know, yeah, this, it's, it's, it's an interesting game, right? But imagine, let's imagine you are a, uh, a citizen of ancient Jerusalem. All right, I'm there. Right. Uh, and uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe sometime either in Jerusalem or, or say, a, a, a Judahite taken away into the exile, or some, somebody in the post-exilic period. I'm there. Right? Peter, you're there too, but your beer right. is untrained. Right, now you're imagining. <laughs> you must have forgot your razor. Um, and it, if you think about it that way, what would it mean? And, and so you might have a, a basic cultural familiarity with some of the surrounding mythologies. That might be understanding it. You might actually believe that the world looks something like those Babylonian myths. To have the priest stand up and recite these pass this passage from Genesis 1, where God speaks and it is, right? There's no, there's no sort of potential that then creation has to actualize for itself in this divine speech. That's not how it works. God says light and there's light. God says stars and there are stars. And at every step of the way, then God says it's good. So then he gets to this point, let us make Adam in our image according to our likeness. You know, He created them in his image, male and female, he created them. And you're hearing that, and which means it's applied to you. This word, image and likeness of God, is being directly applied to you out of the mouth of a priest. We are being renewed in it. Who is, through that who's, right. He's, he's, he's preaching this right into you and calling you very good here. In that context, you start hearing this as like a justifying word. This is... It, 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 it seems strange to call this gospel, right? You don't, you don't, you don't hear Jesus in it directly, directly. But if we say Jesus is the image of God, He's there. He is right there in these verses. We've just missed Him. Um, and He said that you, in your lowliness and humility, you who are a farmer or whatever you are, lower than a farmer. No matter what, ditch digger would that yeah, be? The, yeah, that no, one sounds pretty bad. It, it's not in reference to Theology your free will, professor. not in reference to your reason, not in even in reference to how much you love people. You are declared to be the good place that the Lord God, who creates all things, has manifested Himself, just as much as anybody else. And that means you are also that for your neighbor. Not for yourself, I think, to look at yourself. Because you're receiving this from another person who's doing it for you. Well, but that puts you in a position to be that kind of a, of a vehicle for other people. No vocational aspect. Right. It, it, and all of a sudden, these, receiving this divine word and giving it again becomes, it becomes what the human being is really all about. And there's, there's probably two responses to that. The, the first would be, um, I don't like that because that makes me the same as my neighbor. What can I do to be better? <laughs> Which is, yeah. right, the, the exalted right. need to be humbled, yeah. um, which is, you know, the Magnificat, but then also the humble who have been brought to the point that that's the best word they could hear, um, you know, that this is gift and that this is not something that, that I need to be <clears throat> set apart in some sort of measurement way from my neighbor, um, but that I have a, a standing that's completely outside of myself that's been given to me. Yes, and, and it also then it connects you, and not just to your, to your immediate neighbors or to them, but even to the whole creation. Occasionally, it's the, the objection's been raised to this. Well, this really separates us from creation in a way that can be destructive, where this, this notion of dominion can mean human beings just having sort of blatant disregard for, uh, for, for, for the creation that God uh, has, has given them. But that's not what's going on here at all. What you have here is human beings in the midst of creation set apart, not removed from, but set within the temple that is creation. The structure you to talked act about earlier. Within the structure to act as priests of God. To be sites of God's presence to and for his whole creation. Um, 
So it's 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 really a very holistic picture of the human being and of of, of, of all life. From and, if, a, and if you think of Genesis too, I mean, this seems to fit well. There's Adam and Eve as they're existing before the fall into sin is you know they're there for creation. It's yes. it's a two and four relationship, and it's not a they're not. We don't hear you know when Adam went and you know cut down a tree and <laughs> for fun or you know it. But it there. I like the idea of they're they're put within the structure or the framework. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is the the prelapsarian um, humanity, right? And so, how do we how do we then bring that? You t- you're talking it, about well, the. It, and that's that's my point. If we take it, that's that's a good point, right? Um, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. You. No, no. Um, yes. And on the one hand, Genesis one, you could say, oh, it's 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 prelapsarian. On the other hand, this is what I mean by hearing it as a present preached word. The fact that God speaks and there are stars is not a word that just applies to way back when. It's why there are stars now. (laughs) Um, You can hear this because on the seventh day God rested. The Sabbath is a continuing thing in the life of Israel. It doesn't just Mm -hmm. go away because it happened once. Uh, And it's not that God got the ball rolling once and things just moved on their own momentum. Rather, all things are in creation. Here's Here's a bit of Haman. That all things in creation are words from God. That, as Haman puts it, creation is uh, is God's address to the creature through the creature. And the, for anyone that that might seem shocking to, just fast forward to the first chapter of the fourth gospel. And exactly. I mean, you've got it right there, right? Um, Jesus is not only the word, but he was there in creation and all things were created through him. Without him, there was nothing. Exactly. This is, that's it. John 1 is a very, very close and faithful reading of Genesis one, but putting the uh, the, the the testimony to to the life and death of Jesus in the center of it, so we can see that. In fact, you could even say it's an it's an unveiling or an unraveling of the the truths of Genesis one, right? That's, that's <laughs> I mean, the exactly creation. It. It's, account. it's not. It's in, in 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 a strange way. John one isn't saying anything that Genesis the Genesis doesn't say. Yep. Um, but we could not see it until that point. Well, now we're all whether it, in some sense, refers to a prelapsarian setting. It is always being heard here and now in the midst of our sin. This word is only ever given to sinners, right? If there's anything we know about? I mean. I, I don't know of anybody who claims that Genesis 1 was written by Adam before the fall. There might be somebody like that. No, I'm, no I'm sure was there's saying that someone. Earlier. Um, <laughs> it was just a that's, theory. That's, 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 that's not the usual account, but in any case, the history of its use is among sinners. It is therefore written to be heard by sinners like us and to be preached to sinners like us, and, and so intended, it has to apply to us. Just as Genesis three is written for us to to help us understand ourselves as humans, right? So is Genesis one. Yes, and Genesis three isn't just there to say we ruined Genesis one. Right. Genesis one is saying something about humanity. If if it were only a statement of something that was once the case, sort of a, a, a weird mm-hmm. kind of doctrine, maybe the most useless kind of doctrine, which is eternally valid information about what things were like before sin. Yeah. I, I mean, frankly, at that point, we could cut it out of our Bibles. Right. <laughs> we talked about this last night that, you know, we lost the image of God, so this does no longer apply to us at all. Like the whole distinction of I've lost it, and now I'll get it back someday in the future. And that's where I think where the New Testament talks about you're being renewed in this. But And maybe I'm stretching here too, Adam, you could tell me but even when Jesus appears to his frightened apostles after the resurrection, right, he breathes on them and speaks. This is, um, I mean, it, I don't know how that doesn't call us back to the creation account and the spirit and the breath of life. This, it, this, this is a preachment. Well, not only he does lines. that, and then he's, and then what does he do? And then he he says, he gives them the keys. He gives them the keys, right? If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Which means he is making them his representatives. You are divine representatives. Here, you are my living images. Ambassadors of Christ. Right, right. Um, whoever hears the, you, hears me. Yeah, hence the 
I forgive you your sins and yes. not God forgives you your sins, which is true. It's true. Right. But whenever, right, that's right. Whenever the pastor stands up and says, I forgive you your sins, you should think image of God there because that's really what's happening. Um, but that's incredibly powerful to think that applies to you too. Um, so yeah, I, I, my point is I think this is a doctrine that Christians can make use of in a, in, in, in a much more thoroughgoing way, um, with, with, I think, a lot more sort of varied and, and deep applicability than sort of just reducing it to an ethical ideal. Yeah, that's, that's just fantastic. And it's something that, you know, I've certainly wrestled with a little bit, but never, you know, this pointed. So this has just been a, this has been a lot of fun for me. Well, and I think, Mike, this plays to, and I don't want to cut you off because you probably know better than me, but you, you get... Um, with students, you know, into what is the value of a human being and how, you know, we can struggle to find our value or human value in so many things. And I think this gets at some of what you try to bring out as well. Right. And I'm trying to find value in every other place, but God declaring me valuable. And then, so maybe Adam, uh, walk us through, okay. So me right here, right now, I am uh, well, the whole thing with the image of Satan, the image of God. Oh, who yeah. am I right now, sitting right before right, is, you? Is, 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 Lest is, is, we get lost in original sin, though, I think that's a, a great future episode, especially if Adam's willing to join us. Uh, too much in the homin or original. I don't want us to get us to Genesis three, and we miss uh, Steve talking in a little bit. So I can I can give just a, a hint on that, though. This notion, this this phrase, uh, imago satani, image of Satan, is a very controversial one. It was used by Luther. It gets picked up by Flacius, who was generally a good guy. Yeah, um, and and then is. is Flacius, what? and then he's, is almost ever after oh. considered to be a grievous error. Uh, on the face of it, I don't think it says anything different than what Jesus says in the Gospel of John when he says, you know, well, we're, we're children of Israel and, and never been slaves to anybody. It comes like you're children of your father, the devil. Yeah. <laughs> right. But in other words, this is your origin. It is almost like you've received a new birth from the devil. That's what my mom always said to um, me, too. It, ter- it was terrifying and weird. Um, but But why? Well, I mean, on one level, you could say when you do the things of the devil, you, you, you become the image of the devil. But let's put a finer point on that. When human beings become about justifying themselves apart from God's word, um, when they call God a liar and elevate themselves, then they would be the image of the one whose word they speak. The great accuser and, and they're the liar. representative of that, and and, and so the, the representative of that, of that. you're, of you're that right, religion, right. and so we 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 ease we stand before each other day in and day out as more often than not coming across as satanic priests, um, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> without black robes and dripping in blood or anything. But we don't need those things, right? The black robes and dripping in blood would actually make that whole business a lot safer because then you yeah. can see there goes a scary guy. Yeah, maybe two two questions for you. Would you equate this to the symbol then? Um, uh, and then also, uh, when it comes to, since we brought it up a little bit, human rights, I'm looking at somebody who's clearly not Christian in their faith. Why are you pointing at me, Mike? Making, <laughs> no, right. I would like uh, everyone to confirm his hand was clearly... It was to the left a little bit. Wait, why are you confused by this? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I look at somebody who's clearly not Christian, who does not have faith, um, why do they have value there? And so that right. kind of, I know, I want you to say that answer. Yes. We do also have to understand this as a, a ground for, a, 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 as grounded in creation itself. And what that does is it authorizes us to go and preach this to absolutely everyone. That is, if I am authorized as a Christian to tell that person about Jesus, then that means they are also in the image of God. They couldn't be otherwise. Um. And so, it, 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 in, in a weird way, the, the, it's only the fact that they were created in the image of God that authorizes me to preach this image to them. Um, that's it, it, it. I mean, if, if, if one were insistent on saying on saying that so and so, no, they're not human. They don't need the gospel. They're not in the image of God. 
I would have a hard time arguing with that, not because they're at all right, but because if, if somebody's dead set in that position is not seeing another person as human, it's really hard to argue argue somebody down from it. Um, and the, the, the truth of another person's humanity can only sort of be revealed to them. Uh, I don't know. But it's, it's, life can sometimes do that. Um, maybe the ultimate proof of it, and, and sometimes this is what's actually happened in cases where I'm thinking of people who have overcome sort of profound moments of racial prejudice, and it's it's interesting to hear how often somebody's had their mind changed by receiving unexpected mercy from a person whom they had rejected as subordinate to themselves. Well, if I can receive mercy from someone, then they are acting as the image of God, and if they are that, then then I was wrong about it. Yeah, and quite frankly, I don't have right to declare somebody something else that God has already declared. No, as, you never do. And, and okay, technically, okay, so maybe somebody can reject this this gospel promise, not only the gospel specifically, but, sure. but that's still creating the image of God, still preached and told you are the image of God in the same way Jesus still died for you, Yes. And it's preached for you. That's right. For That's you. Right. And I, as an individual, really don't have any right to say, God didn't mean that for you. That's right. You don't. Um, it's always true. And you asked me a first part to this question. The, this, I don't remember yeah, what Just to equate this. It, the, 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 the imago Dei, imago satane thing. Yes, I, that would be a way of expressing the symbol. Um, I mean, image of Satan is not biblical language itself, but sure. I think it's a a creative Lutheran appropriation of these, of, of, of this concept. Um, and that it's, 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 it's biblical in what it means. <laughs> yeah. So I have the full, I have the full likeness. I am in the full likeness of God. I'm not on my way to recapturing the, um, the image of God. I am in the full likeness of God as I am a saint. Yes. And then we of course have the reality that I'm 100% sinner at the same time, which I can confirm. Um, well, that I, we appreciate uh, uh, Adam and Noah joining us so we can finish this episode. Very good episode. And uh, we, uh, we really do, both of you guys, appreciate uh, coming back after I messed up and didn't erase stuff off the episode later. Uh, Noah, you had some good contributions to the free-for-all. You've been sitting here quietly for the main topic, uh, but there's nothing wrong with that. I, uh, well, but this is clearly a topic that he was very interested in, so much so that he named his children after... That yeah. is true. No, Image in and fact, I, I had a, I had a lot that I that I wanted to say, but I, I'm not a you know I'm, I don't have the whole podcast jerk thing down where you just hop in and start talking. <laughs> you guys are all on cue for that, but I no one the one thing I did want to add, and I'm sorry if this cuts off your conclusion here, Wade, but just oh, the I, the idea that it's it's another example to me, and this has been awesome stuff, Adam. It's another example to me of scripture having and giving and proclaiming exactly what deep down mankind is longing for. Yeah. And so you, you mentioned it right away in the beginning, this idea that even the secular world will toss out the phrase, you know, we're creating the image of God because we, we want to have that idea, that image. And then you see it, you know, you referenced human rights, this idea that, you know, we're all equal, we're all on a level playing field, but we don't know why. And it just, that's the way it should be. And then, you know, we heard Dave Zoll talk about kind of the enoughness, right? You talk about the human value that, that Mike just referenced. And so we're looking for there has to be kind of this underlying reason why people have value. And it can't just be their general, well, they're a human being, I'm a human being. So, right, it, there, there's this thing that everyone's longing for that's going to put us on this level playing field to be able to say you have value because of who you are. Not your circumstances, not because of how hard you worked or the color of your skin or your gender or whatever it is. And the amazing thing is here, here's the proclamation of your creator, right? The value you have is because you are the living image of me. And that and is God just, said so. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that, that's just, an, it's another amazing example because you find so many of these where you finally can kind of open this up to somebody and say the, the thing that you've always been longing for, the thing that you've always wanted 
um, actually God has it for you. It's in the gospel. It's in Christ. Um, it's the very thing that you reject and don't want to hear, but it's exactly what you, your heart is really longing to hear. And so to say the image of God is this beautiful comfort for people who are longing for, where do I find my value? Where do I find my worth? Um, I, it's just another great example, and I think that's awesome. So just to, I didn't just know to, when to toss that. Yeah, just to drive that, that home, good. too, you've got the uh, what you're exactly what you're longing for, um, and it's exactly what you're rejecting, which throws us right back into the absolute need for grace, that we can't do this. This is the beggar's hand receiving. Um, it, you know, right. Wade, Wade will say, can't even close his fingers, right? Right. Um, the, that it's placed in your hand. You you know you need it, and yeah. you still reject it. Right. Um, the law is never going to get you there. I, I just want to point out, Peter before gave me kind of like a hand motion that we're going to have to wrap it up soon to go listen to uh, Steve talk, and then he wanted, tried to get the closing word. So, uh, But uh, ultimately, I, I appreciate Adam and Noah, you guys taking the time, and I don't know which one of you would like to... Uh, Adam, why don't you go ahead and... Uh, I even wrote it down on the piece of paper now All for right, our well, guests. But what can we do end of the day when we are uh, considering the image of God now that we know we are being renewed in through that gracious, creative word of God? Let the bird fly. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk. I'm just a drink. I set them up another round. I set them up. Another round, I'll set him up. Another round, one more round won't get me down.